All right, it is the second episode of Selenials. Yo. How, how are you doing, Caden? I'm doing good. How about you, man? Great. My name's Caleb Embry, and today we're going to be talking about uh, a leadership book called Leadership and Self-Deception. And, and what did you, what, what are your initial thoughts on this book, Caden? Well, I definitely, I definitely think that I struggle from a lot of the things you're talking about in the book. And the biggest thing about self-deception is you don't even realize you're, you're in, you're in the box as the book says, you don't even realize most of the time that you have this problem. And it just from reading, I mean, I only read the first nine chapters of the book in so far and it really wakes wakes you up to some stuff you don't realize yeah we're we're just gonna uh kind of tackle the first nine chapters and, and we're gonna dice this up to it into a few different episodes but uh yeah it's definitely something that's very interesting he kind of calls it the the human science a lot of people call it that it's not nothing biological it's everything inside your brain and mm-hmm. how you interpret uh i would say like challenging times or or facing conflict with uh your fellow humans whether it be relationships the character inside of the book goes through a lot of turmoil with his wife Mm -hmm. it's like every time she's brought up it's like they're about to get a divorce for sure he's only caring about work and he's putting in a whole bunch of work he's he's uh you know getting there early and staying late and and putting in the time so he kind of feels like his his ascension in the work kind of excuses some of the behavior he has at home as well as some as well as some of the behaviors he has at work Mm -hmm. yeah and i think a a really cool point is is that incredible incredible behavior or performance in the workplace doesn't excuse you know really bad delivery yeah because the book talked about that quite a bit it's people respond to how you feel about them the words are just part of what you say you know, I mean, for example, like you can talk to your dog and your dog doesn't know anything you're saying, but it knows how you feel, you know? Oh, yeah. Like you can, like, if you've seen those videos, people people start insulting their dog, but they do it in a happy tone and the dog thinks they're getting love when they're, <laughs> right, when the, the right. words they're conveying are something completely different. So that that was a big thing because it's, it's true. I mean, words are a part of speech. You can say anything all you want, but you can always, you know, people will say you don't mean it and they can tell you don't mean it by the way you're acting right and 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 the the acting part kind of comes from the principle that he's talking about like are you living inside the box kind of selfishly in your brain trying to lead things uh to where only you want them to go like you believe that every win that counts for you is is kind of plotting the path forward or you can live in this kind of outside the box where you're living outside of your brain, taking in more perspectives from and seeing things from different points of view. And uh, a win for everyone is plotting the path toward, towards success, which in my opinion seems to be the more healthy option, mm-hmm. but not the only option. Yeah, because it it talked about, I mean, you can, you, you can, be they were talking about your right and wrong at the same time i mean you can say what this person did was wrong you know that that needs to be addressed but the way you address them matters i mean you can you can go in there guns blazing like what happened in the book whenever the employee used this conference room and that was his and erased his stuff and it's like well yes your needs 
you need that conference room. Well, what were they going through? That wasn't addressed at all. You know, you right. have to see things through other people's perspective because while it may make no sense to you why they did something, there's probably a good reason why that ended up happening. They have desires and they have things that they need to accomplish too. Right. They may have needed to use the whiteboard in the conference, which the, the kind of main character in the story was using, just kind of using it as like a second office, mm-hmm. trying to plot his path towards success. And when somebody came in on like a, probably a scheduled meeting, came in and erased all of his notes on the whiteboard and he was pretty frustrated about that but they need they probably really needed that whiteboard Mm -hmm. you know so visually everybody could track what was going on in the meeting and kind of uh help the overall company go ahead but he was really upset and like uh made her feel terrible about it and it's just kind of like are you really going to get anywhere together with a leader that acts like that you know not seeing it from her perspective as well Right. Uh, one thing it talked about in those situations, it's he conveyed the message he wanted to convey, but there were also unintended consequences to it. There's, there's definitely a way that you can address people and address the problem at hand in a compassionate manner that doesn't keep them up at night. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. There's actually, a, I feel like, a pretty good example that's pretty relevant. Uh, did you watch The Last Dance on, on Netflix? I didn't incredible documentary about Michael Jordan. I'm a huge basketball fan here in Dallas, you know, the Mavs, Mm -hmm. Luka Don just killing it out there for us. But the last dance is all about kind of Michael Jordan and honestly his approach to winning, Mm -hmm. which was pretty ruthless. I would say in the box thinking on the like most insane level possible, you know, he won six championships and it was all and not everybody loved him for it mm-hmm. like he was very very hard on them he made them feel like if they weren't raising their standards then he was going to get on to them he was going to make practice really hard on them that way the games were that much easier and there's even a moment in that docuseries where he's like crying saying hey some people are going to hate me but you can't argue with the results mm-hmm. so that's kind of the opposite of what this book is teaching but very much a way to, to success. I don't want anybody thinking you have to be all daisies and rainbows all the time to right. be successful. There's plenty of examples the other way, too. Yeah. When it comes to that, hold on, where, where was it? I had notes. Well, while you're looking at that, I think we can also talk about LeBron James. Mm-hmm. LeBron James, in the same realm of the NBA, he kind of took the opposite approach, kind of more of this book's approach. All of his teammates never have anything bad to say about him mm-hmm. and lebron has contended for just as many championships as michael jordan and a lot of people put them both as that best player ever like there's arguments on who's the best they achieved it in two different ways and one seems to be very healthy and we'll see at the end of lebron's career what all those relationships manifest into mm-hmm. i think it's not just going to be like michael jordan where it's like i had a bunch of teammates a lot of them hate me some of them love me I think LeBron's going to have a lot more fans at the end, but we'll see. Yeah, because the book talked about experiencing yourself among people versus experiencing yourself among objects. Mm. And that's that's definitely a way in or out of the box. If you're experiencing yourself among objects, um, you're you're in the box. You're You're stuck in your own head. You're not analyzing other people's perspectives and what they may think. And I've always thought that when you don't analyze other people's perspectives, you 
you develop blind spots, which is almost what self-deception is. I mean, it's not only blind spots to other people and their perspectives, but yourself. I mean, right. you, there may be problems and it. The book even talked about it pretty early on. Um, you, you may be thinking you're doing the best job possible, but you're in a completely different world than everybody else because you're so stuck to your own ways. You're stuck in your own head. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. I kind of wanted to do a little thought experiment with you, uh, with the principles of this book who like, well, let, let me set, let me set one up. Okay. So whenever I think about inside the box thinking and let's say like some political or world figures or countries that represent that thought, my immediate, uh, go to is North Korea, mm -hmm. very in the box country because very. of, because of the, the leadership itself. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you don't know, North Korea in its current form has had three leaders, all related, and they all kind of believe in themselves and they force this country to believe in them too. Mm -hmm. Even even though it's like, he's not helping the people of North Korea. Yeah. Like absolutely terrible. People are starving and dying and he's living this very lavish lifestyle. Yeah. Well, he's stuck in, his, in the ideology. I forgot the name of the ideology. There's, there's even a, a name for it. I'll look that up real quick. Yeah, while, while you're looking that up, I want to present the other side as well, which uh, let's just say that we're diametrically opposed. So let's just say the United States is the opposite side of this coin. Mm -hmm. uh, they're the out-of-the-box thinkers when it comes to leadership and trying to incorporate its population, make them okay, as well as the rest of the world that they that the rest of the world's okay as well and what are some of the the great well, what what would you say is like the top three or four presidents in your in oh, your opinion in my opinion well it's you got to put george washington and lincoln up there those were my one and two for sure yeah definitely um this is where it gets a little dicey who's the third i definitely would put reagan up there Ooh, i've got him down a Re little bit reagan was one of the most american presidents you know what i mean okay and a fourth one that's a hard one i i put fdr up there the and theodore mm -hmm. jfk i think is up there too but it just what a short-lived presidency yeah and then you also gotta think about all the things that jfk did that was covered up yes yes you i mean i feel like every president has their their way of thinking out of the box mm-hmm you know, like how, how do, how does that president interpret that, that language? Yeah. And some of it was like, I got to take control. Like, I think it was either Theodore or FDR. It was FDR. FDR was the big progressive one that implemented, that thought of himself as the solution to the problems. He thought he knew how to fix it all. And that's where all the government programs we know and may or may not love. DoorDash is here, bro. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Just give me a second. Yeah, so back from the interruption. Yes. Um, I believe we were talking about FDR and how he thought of himself as a solution and thought of government as a solution, and that's why we have all of these programs we know and may or may not love to this day. Right, so, I mean, maybe he struggled with a bit of self-deception him himself. Mm -hmm. he, maybe he could have found some more uh, ways to solve these these war issues by incorporating more of of the checks and balances of our system for yeah. sure well when it comes to to him i watched a documentary about the relationship between him and winston churchill and winston churchill was 
I mean, I don't think FDR had any intention of getting into the war originally, but FDR, I mean, Churchill continually pressured him to get into the war, and Churchill was only thinking about the, the UK and preserving the empire. He wasn't actually thinking about FDR's interests and the interests of the United States. Right, right. And so I think that with the the United States being diametrically opposed to North Korea, you can kind of see how these leadership styles on the highest level in society can impact millions and millions of people, mm -hmm. if not the future of civilization. Now, of course, we're drawing it all the way back to our personal lives and our relationships that are personal and in business. But I think that it just kind of it, it really benefits everybody to think in these multifaceted, different perspective point of views, this out of the box thinking as the book calls it. Oh, definitely. I think because I, I, I tend to get involved a lot in philosophy and deep discussions like that. And you definitely have to take in other perspectives in order to come up with even a remotely plausible solution or idea. Right. You know, there's there's so many different ways. There's seven billion people in the world, each was with their own wants and needs. And there's I don't think that there's one way to make a solution that makes everybody happy, no matter how big or small the control group you're dealing with is. Right. You know, so especially in leadership, when the decisions you're making affect a group of people very directly that you can witness yourself, I think it's good to bring in other perspectives and not just sit there you know, some people get involved in these situations where they're just trying to fix the problem. They're like, well, this is going to fix the problem on paper without ever getting involved with other people and people involved in the everyday processes to see what they think. Right. By solving this one problem, the way you do it is so important because it could cause three or four other problems. Mm -hmm. De definitely. If you're addressing, if you come in heated and it's like, well, why are we having this problem? People not only people will still go and try to fix the problem, but there may be other problems developing. You're not you're not solidifying a relationship with the people on your team. You're just you're creating a bigger rift between everybody. Right, right. And I think that the the idea that you can work so hard that you don't have to worry about the like personal relationships with people, uh that that just means that you're never going to be the high capacity leader you wish you could have been. Yeah. You're never going to have the impact just by singular wor uh, like work habits. Yeah, because what happens is you end up you end up becoming quote unquote too valuable to replace. You're not multiplying, you're just doing. You're doing all of this good work and you it can become limiting limiting because people people higher than you will say, well, we, we can't afford to have you move anywhere else. We need you to continue to do this. Right. And even the greatest doers, which I think is how most leaders earn, earn their respect and kind of uh, get the standing with the right people to get promoted. Uh, if you're just a great doer, sometimes you're not somebody I would want to multiply. Like I don't want a whole bunch of you because you're not caring in the right ways mm -hmm. you're ruthless you, you you make excuses because you work so hard it's not going to help the overall vision get accomplished yeah definitely if you're if you know you're a good doer and you're sitting there you can get frustrated with people who are having trouble because well i've got all of these problems i don't want to hear about yours you know yes yes absolutely um so whenever we think about like the big team wins 
Like that's kind of, I feel like that's kind of what the book is pushing us towards is like, when you think about solving issues, how can you think where everybody wins, mm-hmm. not just you? Because if you're just winning, then you're, you, you may just be alienating everybody around you. Yeah. And so the big team wins. How, how, how do you feel that uh, personally that, that affects you? What, what are you trying to do? Because I think you're in a very interesting, interesting situation where you're a fantastic doer at the job we both work at. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that you kind of have reached the apex of performing daily. Mm-hmm. Right? So in, in the position where you're at, how do you feel like you're able to accomplish big picture wins in your position? Because it, it must be very challenging. Because it's just you every day cranking. Yeah. Well, I definitely think it comes down to finding errors and making efficiencies so it betters everybody. Because I can do things that will make things faster for me, make things easier for me. But that that's only helping me. You know, there's other people that work there too. So how what can I do that I catch on to if I find these solutions to a small problem that maybe saves five minutes for me? Well, if you have two or three people, that's saving 10 to 15 minutes a day easily. Right. So if you find the problems and not only patch the hole, but you completely fix the leak in general, you're not just putting a little patch over it. You're re-welding the glass or remolding the glass, I guess you would say, right. in order to fix the problem. So it's, you know, you can take the, basically what I'm saying is you have these little problems and you solve them for everybody. You you come up with a solution then present it to people say hey i have this solution you might you might try this this might work for you right right and i think that in combination with just with just like the everyday you know how are you doing to to everybody on the team on the staff i think those two things combined uh, you, you're going to get more opportunities to speak and fix bigger things uh-huh. on like a different plateau. Because like you said, you're just saving 10 or 15 minutes right now. But the more you execute on that, the more opportunities we're going to bring you to the table. Uh-huh. And I think as a leader, that's all you can ask for. Just have me at the table. I want to listen. I want to have some kind of input. And the more you think on the small level, the easier it is to think on the higher level. Yeah, definitely. Because if you're... If, when you start in the beginning, I mean, you're, those habits are going to build. So if you build habits of only selfishly solving problems, you're only ever going to selfishly solve problems. So if you have that team mindset from whenever you start, I mean, people will see that and they say, why would he change his mindset now? And that, that'll make or break it. Because if they see you being selfish, they're, why would he change his mindset now? Also, if they see you being a team player, why would he change his mindset now? So. Right the way you act i guess even when no one's watching the way you act in general people will genuinely believe that that's how you're always going to act so if you just be consistent with your behavior you'll you'll be brought to the table yeah absolutely well i think that that's the that's the heart of this book and and it seems like we're going to get into more principles but it's telling the story in a very narrative fashion and i and i kind of like that i like that yeah. it's not just like meat and potatoes like hey here's three uh, little tidbits, uh, a tip for your leadership to go through the roof. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's some very real and hard situations. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of the point of stories. Right. Is there's, there's a message behind it. This happened, this is why it happened, and this is what came from it and how you can apply it to yourself. And I think that's the the benefit of teaching through stories rather than just through information. 
Yes, absolutely. Our, our, the company we work for actually went through like a rebranding. What was it like two months ago? I think. Yeah. At the beginning of March. Yeah. And uh, part of that rebranding, there was a speaker that came in that talked about this, mm-hmm. the power of story. Whenever you're trying to teach somebody uh, something, you uh, appear. The best way to do it is to kind of like self-deprecate by saying, hey, this is something that I've struggled with as well. Yeah. And that, that that's what happened in the book. He's like, well, you have a problem. I have the same problem. And here's how here's how you learn about the problem. And here's what you can do to fix it. Right. Right. And even what's the manager's name bud yeah 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 like mr bud a pretty pretty wise guy if you ask me Mm -hmm. but it seems like you get all that wisdom from from real experience yeah and that's that's another thing about stories is someone has been through that so they they know what they're talking about when when for example in school i mean you just hear this information and you're told to memorize it and reproduce it you're not for me, the problem in school was always I had nowhere to apply it, so I just didn't care. And the difference with stories is you somebody applied that somewhere, and it'll very likely end up you'll have to apply it at some point in your life too. Right. And I, and I also like that this, this book approaches the balance between personal life and professional life. Mm-hmm. That honestly, the best, the best way to play is by being the same player all the time. Right. And nobody wants to play a game their entire life, so you might as well be authentic. Mm -hmm. Like, that should be your way of playing the game, is being very real with yourself and and opening up about, you know, things that you're not good at. Yeah. Because that's more relatable than just saying, you know, I came on and I killed it and I've never made a mistake. Yeah, definitely. Because everybody makes mistakes, and as long as you're say yeah i know i made the mistake this is why i think i made the mistake and here's what i'll do in the future to make sure i don't make that mistake i understand how it affected you and affected these people when you put it into others perspectives and not just yours and you you'll find out you've made more mistakes than you realize when you have other people's perspectives because for all you know you're doing a good job and you're killing it no one said anything to you you know you're just going and then you start talking to others and they said, well, we really could use help with this. And you had no idea that anybody needed help with that because you've been so stuck in your own zone. Just, hey, I'm killing it. I'm doing what I have to do. Right. It's almost like doing what's expected of you is honestly the, the minimum. Yes. Right. You're, you're going to do exactly what's expected of you and you need to start reaching out to see what other lanes of influence you can have mm-hmm. on, on a more personal level. Because then people can relate to you more, and it's easier to get the team across the finish line. Yeah, because I definitely find myself getting stuck in the box sometimes, and I didn't even realize it until the other day when I read the chapters. Um, I'll find myself in a situation getting frustrated. It's like, well, how do people not know what I'm having to go through? And I didn't even begin to think, well, what are they going through? Why do they need this for me? What has gotten in their way? Right. You know, that's... And it's a flaw I have, and and I think everybody has oh, it, absolutely, a hundred percent, because to you, you're the most important person there is, and everything else is kind of secondary, you know, because right. your interests are primary to you. Nobody, nobody else truly cares about your interests because they're yours. You know, they have their own interests, they have their own desires. So, whenever, whenever you just neglect that, you know. 
like I was saying, you'll get stuck and you won't realize that there's other things that you that need to be addressed as well. Right. And I think if you only worry about yourself, you will unknowingly hit the capacity that you can output Mm -hmm. and not realize that the only way forward now is by getting personal with people. Yeah. They're figuring out what motivates them and then being like, well, that, that kind of in a roundabout way ties into my vision. Mm -hmm. And then the company's vision, like if your personal vision is not lining up with the company you work for, there's probably a reason why it's hard to wake up in the morning. Yeah, definitely. You know, because you're not really loving what you're doing and, and the, the things that you want to accomplish are not shared uh, by your by your company. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, how are you supposed to lead people in that kind of circumstance? I don't think you can. Yeah, because you're so stuck in, well, I want to do this. They want to do this. They, If only they knew what I was going through. Right. You know, they, they would know why I wanted to do this. But if you're so stuck and you're just stuck in that mindset, for me, the main thing is, is how are people even going to know if you're so stuck in your mindset with all of these questions you're asking yourself and all of these frustrations, if you don't, if you don't address them at all, I mean, it's going to get even worse, I think. Oh, definitely. Definitely, definitely, definitely. So, uh, what, did you have any particular thoughts on this book that, that maybe you wanted to hit? I know you got some notes over there. Yeah. For me, it was mostly the biggest thing was how you people, people respond to how you feel. Mm-hmm. rather than the words that come out of your mouth because i know from experience i mean people have just said things and i'm like well i can just tell that that's not true by the way you're saying it and i think that i have a disconnect sometimes between that i'll say something when i really i feel different and i may think that i'm conveying it in a in a convincing manner but i'm really not right right it 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 really does require a lot of thought just having just having a good thought on how to improve a lot of things is I feel like a quarter of the work mm-hmm. like another quarter is trying to understand the best way to present this mm-hmm. because it can be taken in a lot of different ways like I remember when I first started working in architecture I'm kind of a process lover yeah I love process because that just means there's less thinking involved for everybody and people can do more, be happier, make more money, you know, whatever. I'm a process nut. And so I saw a lot of process flaws within our own department. Mm -hmm. So in my young leadership career, I thought it was really wise to, you know what, I'm going to do all the thinking. Like, Mm -hmm. no, my my boss will definitely want to jump on all these ideas because I will think through everything. Right. But I was inside the box thinking about how I would solve all these problems. Mm -hmm. And so I just sent this long email to my boss and he called me into his office so fast and was like, what is this, bro? (laughs) Like, what the heck is this email? And I'm like, well, I just had these ideas. I never thought for whatever reason it was going to be offensive. Right. Because I'm pretty much telling him, yo, bro, I can do your job better than you. Yeah. I mean in your mindset you came in there saying hey i think that these might help and you i guess failed to realize hey i'm kind of doing your job for you by coming up with yeah these this ideas. is a bad way to deliver this uh-huh. a long email saying this is how you should run your department is pretty much the way it was taken yeah and all that information i had to kind of download it into myself and pick and choose the spots mm-hmm. when is it when is my boss going to be in a good mood 
for this information? Is he about to hit a hurdle that I've addressed in this email? All the things that were in that email eventually came to pass. Uh We're doing a lot of those things now, but it took years. Yeah. It can't, nothing can be solved right away. And in fact, there's a huge possibility that if you do it quickly, people will have a fence. Yeah. People are not going to take what you say because there's no, you, you got to deliver it in a timely way. Yeah. And I also think a part of it is, is people's own self-deception. They may not see this problem and take offense to the fact that you're bringing this up when, well, when you address it at the proper time, like you were saying, it doesn't come off that way because you're, for all they know, you've just come up with a solution. You, you weren't thinking about this previously. It's like, Hey, well, what about this? I mean, I definitely think that that's a way that you can address other people's needs. Cause I mean, your, your manager has needs too. And, when you're doing your job for them, like you were saying, that that does that'll bring that'll offend somebody, you right? Because I'm not I don't, I don't I'm not privy to all of the pressures that my manager was going through at the time. Me making these small uh, recommendations, he could have been like, "Sure, yeah, we could do that, but we'll cause six other problems." Yeah, because you're not you haven't put in the the time or talked to the right people mm-hmm. making this kind of think tank that would have to happen to make these process changes yeah you're not you're like the whole book i mean we're basically bringing up the same point is you're just so blind to other perspectives and then for me i've i've had the experience when i get involved in something and you have that you don't know what you don't know yes i forgot the name of the chart but your confidence and your experience there's a direct correlation to you you get a little bit of experience and your confidence shoots through the roof and then once you get more experience your confidence completely drops off because you realize you really don't know anything oh absolutely and i've found myself in the situation where i really don't know anything and i didn't realize it until i i was thinking that i knew what i was doing and then i went and presented it and realized i just don't know what i'm doing and i kind of come off like a dork right right um, we kind of on this podcast talked about mastery and our love for mastery on a lot of different levels. I feel like mastery in business, it actually takes a lot more creativity and artistry than I originally yeah, um, definitely. realized. You know, usually when you say artist, you think like architecture is a medium. Yeah. Um, as well as music, which you're well versed in and you play instruments and, and even produce some music. And painting, but I think using, expressing your emotions and your vision, dude, it takes a lot of artist strokes to make that vision come to fruition. Oh, definitely. And the way you handle things with people, you don't have that many chances with someone. Yeah. Like you only have like three really good chances and your first one really matters the most. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, you're trying to build this team to take your company or your department to a new a new plateau you've got to really be skilled Mm -hmm. and make your shots count yeah um i was kind of thinking like what it is is there's to master business it's it's not one thing you do it's not the skill set is almost just being open 
I think is the biggest part of mastery to business. Are you just open to listen and hear other perspectives? Because, I mean, the book kind of has solidified that for me. If you're not open, you're, you're not going to be a master of anything because you just don't know what's going on. And in order to truly be the best leader who knows their team the best, you have to be open. Because when you're open and you just here, you can just talk. I just want to listen. Right. You, you and even if you disagree with what they have to say, at least you're aware as to what people think their problems are. And the book brought it up. They can bring up a point and, you know, it may not matter to you. Someone can make a mistake and it they made the mistake, but you can still address it in a way that you're understanding and you understand what they're going through at the time and how this might have happened rather than just saying, oh, well, you made a mistake. That You can't do that. I think right. that just being open is the biggest part of mastery to business. Yeah, and I think it's important to preface that. I mean, you're 20. I'm 29. We haven't built a business before. Mm-hmm. So these are complete statements made in the midst of growth. Yeah, definitely. Which, which I think is very healthy. And, and we even hit it on it last, last week of, uh, you know, in five years, we're going to look at this and be like, we, we might be idiots. We might oh, have been yeah. idiots five years ago. But uh, it, it does. It I think what you're saying does ring true. That that it seems to be the key or the artistry uh, of business is just just understanding people's perspective and understanding that there is rarely ever one path to winning, and there's rarely ever a circumstance where that path is you being right all the time. Uh huh. Because you can be right and wrong. I think in that case it's compromise. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's. I mean, you can even look at politics for that. The only times that it's ever been good, well, I wouldn't say the only times, but most of the time when it's good, you have both sides cooperating, and you definitely don't have that right now. People are so closed-minded to, this is the solution, you're you're an idiot, listen to me, <laughs> right, rather right. than, well, maybe you need to take in other perspectives on this, you know? You're yes. helping this group of people, but what problems are you causing in the midst of that? And that's why I... Th- like you said, compromise is the best. It is the, I think everything is found in some kind of compromise. Like like people say, the truth is always in somewhere in the middle. You know, the same thing is with the, the best solution. It's somewhere in the middle of what everybody's bringing to the table. Right. And, and in the book where we're at right now, um, he, his, his last conversation with his personal life, pretty much his wife, he, he kind of is starting to have this epiphany that he's not really as great of a leader mm-hmm. uh, as he, he thought after talking to his manager, Bud. Um, and so in this, this conversation with his wife, he starts kind of implementing these new practices, mm-hmm. trying to be nicer, just calling her up out of the blue, being like, how are you? And she's responding off of the past. Yeah. Like she's kind of like, yo, you never call me. Like usually you're too busy, you're working and you never call me. And he kind of gets frustrated and falls back into his old ways of kind of like, okay, all right, bye. Yeah, he, he, he was d- probably deeper in the box than he realized. He in that situation, I I wrote down he he immediately failed to realize. Well, what is she going through? He's said he said, well, she's always like this. She's always bringing this up. And I was like, well, what is she going through? Why is she thinking this? Whether it was deserved or undeserved, what what she's saying to him, he still failed to realize he still failed to hop out of the box and think well what is she going through he only thought of the way she spoke to him right and this might be an in the box thought maybe of uh sometimes you train behavior Mm -hmm. 
like when you insist on your way or uh, you, you, you're pretty consistently reacting to hard situations in, in, in a fashion that doesn't bring other people into the solution, mm-hmm. they're not going to expect you to, to act differently. Right. And this is, it seems to be through the book, the first time that he's really opened up to her trying to be like, let's make things right again. Mm-hmm. And it's just not, it's, it's not working for him. And he, after that conversation, he says, I'm trying to be outside the box and she's inside the box. What do I do? She's uh-huh. sucking me back into the box pretty much. And I think that's, that's going to come in the next few episodes or in the next episode, we'll probably address that. Right. Cause it's the next up in the book. And I'm really excited because I find myself thinking that too mm-hmm. of like, I have elevated thought. I'm trying oh. to see things from different perspectives and you're not. Yeah. I definitely have that too. And that I, I agree. I definitely think that is still somewhat being in the box because, you know, we have the, everybody has the problem of being in the box. Everybody deceives themselves, but you can, you can be aware of the fact that you're deceiving yourself and you're still deceiving yourself, even though you're aware of it. It's such a, it's so deceptive. You don't even realize it, even if you're still aware of it. Does that make sense? Right. I almost feel like the solution is like a relationship reset mm-hmm. of like if you've trained people's behavior towards you in such a way, you have to hit the reset button on that entire relationship, mm-hmm. which is going to require like a lot of vulnerability and humility, sitting them down with no distractions. Yeah, definitely. And being like, hey, I've really been an idiot mm-hmm. the past X amount of years. I've been leading the wrong way. Yeah. Definitely. And, you know, sometimes sometimes that doesn't end up working out, but you have to be big enough to and strong enough, I guess, to realize that, you know, you still have to look at it from their perspective because I found myself in those situations saying, why did everything I could? Why didn't it work? Right. Still being closed minded and not realizing that there's a whole another person on the other side of the table. Yeah. And there, there are opportunities where uh, at least in my opinion, it's not reconcilable. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Which is a hard thing to do. And, and once again, hopefully in five years, I find that to be not true. Yeah. That I find a way to connect with people that don't share, uh, a point of view of, of different perspectives Uh and trying to always better each other. Cause I know there's a lot of, uh, of relationships, especially like with parents where the dynamic is, I just want you to do well, but I want you to do well because I know the best way for you to do well. Right. Like that's a hard relationship to, to overcome and make uh, almost like peers mm-hmm. as you get older. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely difficult and, and I definitely don't have it figured out. And I hope this book continues to help me understand those situations. Yeah. Cause I definitely find myself in those situations because I think for being how, how old I am, I have a lot more experience than most people my age do. But, and I end up in that situation a lot. Where people are trying to tell me this is what's best for me, even though I think I know what's best for me whenever there may be a pretty big blind spot. And sometimes I've been proven wrong. Like there's definitely been times when somebody knew what was better for me more than I knew it was more than I knew. Right, right. Sometimes the show of love, I feel like, is that they're willing to watch you fail. Uh Uh-huh. You know, they're not going to get frustrated because they told you otherwise. Yeah, because my mom has told me that that's sometimes that's the only way you learn is through failure. Right. 
Yeah, which can, can be unfortunate, but also an incredible way to have stories. You know, oh, definitely. It, whenever you fail, you you have a great opportunity to help others not fail in the same way you did through yeah. through just storytelling itself. Uh-huh. And I think that's why storytelling is so powerful is you can convey so many different things through storytelling. You know, you can say all you want, don't do that. And it was like, well, why not? And But if you say, don't do this, there was this one time when I was like 15 years old, I did the same thing and this happened and this is what I suffered from it. Yeah. The power of storytelling is pretty sweet. Yeah, and I think that there's also a weird thing whenever it comes to relationships that may not be working out when it comes to out of box, uh, out of the box thinking, mm-hmm. and it comes from uh, you got to live what you preach. Yeah, you know it's so hard, especially whenever I feel like you're a parent. I'm not a parent myself, but I've been parented, and I have a lot of of, of younger people in my life as well. That if you're not doing it you probably shouldn't be giving advice on it. Yeah. Because it's hard to follow somebody who's not willing to walk the walk. Yeah. I mean, people people always say, do as I say and not as I do. But that's not as powerful as do what I say and what I do. Because what you, like like I was saying earlier, speech, words are just a part of speech. Right. I mean, you can you can say something and you can say it all you want. But if you're doing something completely different, that's what people are going to be drawn to. Yeah. Because... You know, that's that's more powerful. Actions are more powerful than words are. I mean, I can I can say a lot of things, but, you know, what you do can ca- causes a lot more harm than what you say, in, in my eyes at least, because to me, words are just phonemes strung together that we recognize. You know, it's the actions and the attitude, and m- most importantly, the attitude. I think attitude carries more about, because the book talked about being in, in the box and out of the box, the behavior doesn't change. You're doing the same thing, but it's, it's your attitude that Mm. changes the, the situation. Right. Because if you're going in there with a positive attitude, like, like they talked about in the book, um, whenever Bud, the guy who was telling his stories, whenever he was in the situation and he was asked, you're not going to let us down, down like that again, are you? He was, he was being cared for and being asked, how's your family doing? How's all of this? And then he was asked, you're not going to let let this, let us down. Whenever Tom, the, the actual narrator of the story, said that he had a situation, the whiteboard situation, and he went in there guns blazing, all angry. And the behavior was almost the same in each situation. They were addressing someone who has made a mistake but they did it with two completely different attitudes and it completely changed the situation when one, you know, the lady would likely end up with sleepless nights wondering, well, what about being scared of the next day? I don't want to mess up again. And the other was, well, I messed up. I know I messed up, but they still care for me and I want to do better. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've heard this, this said in a, in a different way, which is people, you, you can view people as a bank account. Like mm-hmm. you have to put in money to withdraw money. Right. Right. That that relationship is on zero dollars until you're able to invest in what the bank account wants. Right. Right. By checking on the family or, you know, helping them through a hard time or just being there and consistent for the person is huge whenever you have an ask. Mm-hmm. 
and whenever you whenever you do a lot for a person and you're not keeping track of of the the amount of money you're putting into their bank account it's pretty easy to say hard things to people right and that's kind of what they they were talking about in that story as well yeah um because what i was thinking was when you're when you're investing in people you're getting them as a leader it's your job to put people where they need to be in order to collectively accomplish a job and if you're not helping them if you're not expressing these things to them how are they going to know what you need from them you can't just expect them to do what you want they can't they can't have your vision unless you tell them your vision so you may have this vision for how everything's going to be working and if you're just leaving them leaving them there to do their job they're not going to see that Right. They're not going to see, well, this is how I fit in here, and this is what it's doing. They're just doing their job. And if you show them the vision well, they and say, hey, I mean, I think it just comes down to communication, and having more communication will get you out of the box too because if you're communicating everything to everybody, everybody's getting each other's perspectives. And then, you know, five minds are more powerful than one. So in – and I think more than just coming up with a good solution, it the unintended consequences aren't there. Because when you have everybody coming up with solutions together, they're not all in their own individual box, you know, developing solutions and leaving problems that they may not realize on the table. Yeah, well said, well said. I, I think that, that you're right on there. Uh, I, I think I'm pretty wrapped up on, on, on my thoughts thus far. Uh, I'm not sure if you are. Do do you have anything else that that you want to say? No, I went through pretty much all of my notes. Well, great. Yeah. So I think I think this book's going to be really informative. I really like how different it is, and uh, uh, I love the parable like like teaching. Mm-hmm. And I think we're gonna we're gonna take a lot from it. Yeah, definitely. A- in a different way, not not a way to structure our lives or our business or our friendships but a new mindset to approach these things yeah definitely i think that that's what it is for me and it it's just a mind yeah definitely a mindset to approach things in life in general because i definitely have a problem especially when i'm driving of only thinking about myself and my needs right you know like i get really bad road rage because i'm stuck in my own box of realizing hey i just want to go fast why aren't you going fast too you know (laughs) right 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 so I kind of wanted to, to ask you, uh, may, this could be a new thing for the podcast, maybe. What what music, uh, let's just do like three songs that you're, you're, you're pumped about right now. Oh, okay. Well, let me pull may, up. Yeah, pull up the Spotify, pull up whatever. Let, let's see how much like our audience will, will love our music taste. Yeah, so I'm a pretty big 60s to 80s fan. Okay. Of just anything with actual instruments being played by people. Um, yeah, so number one on my list is Out of Exile by Audio Slave. I've, had, I've played that song continuously for probably two weeks now. <laughs> okay, so you, so, so you like to wear out a song, yeah, is what I, you're telling me. Well, it depends. <laughs> it, it depends. There will be some songs that I want to wear out and some songs that I just put in a playlist and listen to over time. Right. Right. Let's see. Let's see if I can if I can get one for you. Okay. Uh dude. Jeez. Okay, there's a band called Nightly. Mhm. And there's a song called The Movies. 
Right. So I, I'm kind of everywhere with my music taste, but I like more moody, like punk alternative type music. And that is definitely moody alternative music. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I, I've always been a big, for me, I, I can't listen to instrumental music, but the words in songs just don't. They're just kind of noises <laughs> over the top to me. For me, I've always been focused on the instruments, and I've always been that way. And I guess that's that's where I've become a musician from. But um, the then came The Last Days of May by Blue Oyster Cult. Mm. I've been listening to that song quite a bit because it's just got a... For me, the, the feeling comes more from the instruments than the words. They Instruments have always spoken to me more than words actually have. Ooh. That's good. Here's a song that that I've been pretty obsessed with. It's called Halfway Up by the Brook in the Bluff. Mm -hmm. I know that nobody probably knows that, but it is so good. It's almost like folky alternative music Mm -hmm. is what it sounds like. So good. Oh, let's see. A third one that's a a little different. Well, I've been listening to The Great Gig in the Sky by Pink Floyd. Oh, you don't get much, much more uh, classic than that. Yeah, I mean, The Dark Side of the Moon is one of the greatest albums of all time. I definitely think it's the best Pink Floyd album, or my mm. favorite, at least. But there's just something, that, I mean, that's the perfect example. There's really no words being spoken in that song. It's just instruments, but it, it's got such a powerful feeling to it. And I, I guess that's I- an individual thing, that I like the instruments more than the words being spoken. Right, and I would say I'm almost the opposite. Mm-hmm. You could have some poopy music, but if you hit me with the lyrics, you know, that, that poem's on, on point, you got my heart forever. Yeah. So I think my last one is a little hometown shout-out. Here in Dallas, there's a guy who who, uh, who makes music under the name Oliver, and the song is, What If You Had Stayed? Gosh. You want to tie on an, an emotional roller coaster? Mm-hmm. You, that one will have you crying. That one will have you <laughs> crying for sure. Yeah. Uh, music, I think, in a way, relates to people's personalities in in its own way. Right. Like, for me, I don't know. I've always had a hard time with words. Like, I can envision ideas, but a lot of times I have a hard time just putting them out into words, you know? Right. And for me, music has been a way to convey that better than words right does that make any sense yeah absolutely i I think there's a bit of self-deception in the music that i love Mm -hmm. which is that it is very emotional music Uh like like super you would almost think maybe i'm a high school girl with how (laughs) emotional these songs are but i think it's 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 very it's a dichotomy because that's not necessarily how i am in real life Uh uh-huh like emotions while valuable sometimes get in the way in my opinion yeah right like i almost would like the facts and no emotion yeah that me means too. no no biases no harshness just give me exactly what it is but my music choice is everything but that it kind of addresses the messiness and uh kind of sometimes toxicness of human nature yeah but in a beautiful beautiful way definitely i think that that's art in general that's the purpose of art i mean especially like like comedy comedy is an art that addresses the flaws of humanity 
in a way that's not so hurtful. You know, right. I mean, people can choose to be offended by jokes, but jokes aren't supposed to be offensive. They're more, they're more or less supposed to be enlightening. You know, right? The the intention is stated up front when you buy the ticket to the comedy or you yeah. choose to watch it. It's like, no matter what I'm I'm about to hear, this is a message wrapped in love and comedy. Yeah, definitely. That's that's the purpose of it, and I think that all art is that way. I think that. Mu- music for me is a way to express things that I can't really express with words, which for me, m- emotions also get in the way. I think that they're, to me, I find them to be problematic. And so that is the one way I deal with them. Yeah, we know? might, we just, just thinking about this right now, we're both alike in, in a lot of ways. It might benefit us to have a more openly emotional person yeah. on the podcast. Definitely. You know? Maybe if we get some very, a nice lady to give us a different a different perspective uh-huh yeah because me definitely i'll i'll do things and it, it doesn't bother me but people are like well why are you why are you doing that and it's like i don't know it's because it makes sense you know so, and people are like well what about these people and the way they feel and it's like oh, okay dude in the box out of the box bro exactly you're just living in the box mm-hmm. because i am not a very emotional creature at all you know right but that doesn't mean that other people aren't everybody's an individual right yeah so we may need some expertise which kind of uh brings me to my next point which is we're always open for criticism oh definitely as these podcasts go up feel free to comment let us know how to get better i think it would also be cool just because of who we are to have some spotify playlist mm-hmm. and uh and definitely share our emotions along with our thoughts here on this podcast. Yeah. But I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Heck yeah. All right, man. Episode two of Zillennials in the books. Caden and Caleb, we will see you next week in Leadership and Self-Deception. See you.